family, and we're transitioning this week and next week to talking about the church being a family, and particularly, we're going to focus today on what it means for a local church like Stonebridge Church to live as family. So I want to start by sharing some memories from my local church experience growing up. So I grew up going to church. Um, yeah, I was really blessed, actually, to, to grow up in a family that went to church, and my my first experience that I can remember of experiencing a church as, as a family and not just something I went to on Sunday or, or a building um, was doing this puppet ministry when I was 10 years old. And um, I know you're probably like, oh, yeah, why would Matt do a puppet ministry? He doesn't have any energy. No, it was, it was perfect for me. I, I mean, it was, it was great. So Mark and Linda, though, they led this puppet ministry. And what it did, it, it just, they empowered my passion and enthusiasm for life in general and channeled it toward, toward something really great, okay? Um, so if you want to learn how to do puppets, I can teach you. It's a good time. But... Um, but they did it with such patience, because I, I was just a ball of fire at that age. And so they, they just did a great job of channeling that. And, and we went to places and, and shared the gospel with people through these puppets. It was a great ministry. So um, yeah, really felt like a part of a family there. I remember another time, this wasn't so great, but this is part of church family life. I remember my dad sitting me down. I was maybe... I don't know, I was pretty young, maybe eight or nine, um, and our, our pastor at that time um, was getting a divorce, and he was on leadership, and they were actually asking him to step down because he was getting a divorce for, for not the right reasons, for unbiblical reasons, for just because he wanted to, and, um, and he, I remember him sitting me down with the Bible and showing me in verse, I don't even know where it was, I don't remember exactly what he said, but what I learned, though, is that I wouldn't have articulated this at the time, but this is how it affected me, um, that church family life is, is messy, but God has good loving guardrails for this church family. And I was really grateful, looking back, that my dad did that and explained it, because um, things were getting rather tense and messy at church to where even an eight-year-old knew. Um, I also remember when I was a teenager, um, there were some volunteer youth leaders. So Josh was talking about that, and I'm seeing some of you volunteer youth leaders. You, you're having more of an effect than, than you'll ever know, by the way. But um, these guys, Scott, Jerry, Joe, um, just shared their lives with me, shared their homes, their chili, uh, their TVs. I mean, but also just called me higher. I mean, they... They called me out on stuff, and were, but in love, and were really helping me grow as a follower of Jesus, and, and trying to fan my gifts into flame, and helping me discover what those were. And um, yeah, it wasn't always pleasant, but it was definitely family, and it was worth it. It was great. Here's the thing about church family: even through the messiness and difficulty, maybe especially through the messiness and difficulty as individual followers of Jesus and family units, individual family units, we are called to be a part of a local church family. This is an increasingly lost priority and value even in Christian culture in our world. But all over the New Testament, we see local churches living as family. 
And actually, it goes beyond that. All through church history, this is what we see believers have done. So I'm going to attempt today to smash through the lies of our individualistic American culture that goes, I've got this to help us realize, no, we don't got this and we actually need help. Christianity is a community project and we need each other as a local church. Next week, we're going to have the elders. It's a, it'll be a little different. We're going to have all of the elders share for just a little bit um, about their experiences and, and share some scriptures as well with church as a family. But today, I just want to show you in Colossians 3, if you can start turning there, Colossians 3, 12 to 17, I want to show you what a local church family means. But let me just caution you. These, these two messages will do nothing for you. And we'll do nothing for us as a church family if we don't start to shift away from our culture and not just talk about, but, but actually value and embrace this local church. If you call this your local church home, to value and embrace this local church, not as a church building, not as a place you ten, attend on Sunday, although I hope you do that, but as a church family. This church as your family, as your family's family. And I'm convinced that if we embrace this church, Stonebridge, as our family together, then it'll really start to feel more like family. Now, I'm going to read Colossians 3, 12 to 17. And let me tell you before I read it, this is actually really helpful for all relationships in your life. I could apply this to marriage. I could apply this to parenting. I could apply this to any sort of relationship with your boss, with coworkers, friends, anybody. So uh, I thought about using this section for other messages, but um, this works really well for this one. But also let me say, I'm going to say a lot of things today that this is... I'm going to say a lot of things today that should be true of a church family, but sometimes aren't, and sometimes I don't do a great job living them out either, but by God's grace, I'm trying, and that's what we're shooting for, so this is an incredibly high bar, and I really feel it, so just know as I say these things, I'm preaching to myself too today, Colossians 3, 12 to 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him.
Do I need to say anything? I suppose I will. Um, Eight characteristics of a local church family. Number one, a local church family is not extended family. Beginning in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, plural, holy, and beloved. Our spiritual family is not extended. It's not like... uh, that, that extended family that you see out of obligation at the family reunions, okay? Um, you know what I'm talking about. The family reunions, you go there and you get this smorgasbord of food, which is fantastic. Last time I went to one of these, they had what was called cooler corn. Do you know this? Do you, have, do you experience this? It's a good time. I have no idea how to do it, but somehow they put corn in a cooler with some boiling water, I guess, and it keeps it warm, and then they open it back up, and there's your corn, and try not to burn your fingers while you get it, I guess. Um, but no, it was really fun. I, I enjoyed that, but I didn't know most of those people and haven't seen them since and don't really have contact with them. You know, you know what it is. I'm talking like real extended family. That's not what church is supposed to be like. We're even more powerfully and significantly bound together than blood ties. Here's how we know. It says God's chosen ones. We all share the same dad. If you are a follower of Jesus, we have God as our perfect father. Of all the eight billion people in the world, of all the people of of every time period ever, God chose and wooed you into trusting relationship with him. But not just you, it doesn't say you. It says chosen ones, it says us. As they say down south, y'all. Y'all went from death to life. From guilty to holy, from alone to dearly loved. Why? Because God sent his only son to die and then to rise from the dead, not just to save me, not just to save you, but to save us. This is more powerful than blood ties because it's bound by God himself, by the Holy Spirit. The same power that conquered the grave lives not in just in me, but in all of us who believe. It's more significant than blood ties because physical death, physical death can't do anything to these ties. These are eternal ties. Eternal ties because of eternal life as sons and daughters of God the Father. Now here in this section in Colossians, Paul's writing to a church family. He's writing to the church in the city of Colossae and he's describing family life here. And he's saying it all starts with this bond of being chosen, holy, and beloved. All by our perfect dad. The same is also true for us. As a local church family, as Stonebridge Church, he not only saved us, he put us here in central Iowa in this local church family. It's not an accident that you're here. It's not a casual placement. The Colossians didn't treat church family as extended family. They didn't treat it as, as, as casual members, casual attendees, no family. They, they treated it as a family that's more powerfully and significantly tied than blood. And that's our call as well. We all need to do a better job of stiff arming the casual approach to local church. Just think of the joy you're missing out on 
by stiff arming this. Second characteristic of a local church, a local church family is sometimes difficult to live with. Verse 13, bearing with one another. That's it. Let's just camp there for a second. This literally means to put up with each other. Okay, Paul, God, okay, Paul and God, they wrote this. God, God through his Holy Spirit, wrote this through Paul, and they are not naive to the complexity of relationships in family life. God's also not naive to the personality clashes and rubbing each other the wrong way that can happen. So he calls the church family to put up with each other. This doesn't even sound Christian at first glance, does it? Just put up with each other. But it's here. Isn't that family life, though? Think about it. Anyone with siblings or, or multiple kids, even if you don't, I'm sure you've experienced this or watched it, right? She, she's chewing her food too loudly. He's looking at me weird and I don't like it, Dad. She won't stop chewing her fingernails. He's too sensitive and needs to chill out. You know, we, we, we laugh, but isn't that us as adults too? Like that's not just children. We often do it in more disguised, hidden forms, right? But it still remains. That is, it is hard to put up with one another. Just is. That's relationships. And God gets that. That's why he says it here. But we're called as a church family right here at Stonebridge to put up with each other. You might not like Matt's jokes. You might not like Ryan Graydon's stories, which would be crazy because he has amazing stories. But you might not like them. You might not prefer it. You might be super annoyed by the directness of that gal in your connection group. You might be super irritated by the shyness of the guy that sits by you at church. But you're still called to put up with all of that. You're called to be brothers and sisters with them. Now let me just say this doesn't mean that everyone needs to be best friends. I think that's unrealistic. Because this verse shows us that we don't all jive well. Right? He wouldn't say put up with each other if, if he knew, oh, you're all best friends. No, no, that's not the expectation. And that's totally fine, but we are all called to love one another and bear with one another. See, this verse helps us see that being church family is not only difficult, but it takes hard work. Hard work. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around him will create community. Don't naively fall into the lie that church family life is or should be easy. Bonhoeffer points it out here. That's just an idealistic dream. If you just have this dream of what actually heaven will be like in your head of a church family, then you're going to be disappointed your whole life with church families. You will. We're still in a sin-stained world with people from all different backgrounds, with, with people from, from all different personalities, and they clash sometimes. So we need to stop being so infatuated with this dream of what heaven's actually like and start focusing on loving 
individual people around us and groups of people around us. That is the way to experience family life. But it takes hard work. Loving each other is hard. It's hard to create a family life like this. It's even harder to cultivate. But it's so worth it as we experience Jesus together. It's worth it because it is better when we're together. Many of us have experienced this with COVID. It's taught many of us this. Maybe you're watching this online, you're experiencing it now, but it is always better when we're together. Number three, a local church family should not be easily left. Let me explain. Verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So Paul's building off, putting up with each other, and now he's addressing what to do when you're hurt by one another. And he makes it pretty plain. Forgive. This is what families are called to do. We don't hold a grudge and live in bitterness. We don't run away and find a new church family because we don't want to deal. We don't go and gossip to others in the family about how they hurt you. You don't wait around for you to feel like forgiving them because you won't get there. You forgive them now. You release them. You go to them. How? Sounds too simplistic. How? Why? Why should I do that? Paul gives us the answer in verse 13. As the Lord has forgiven you. He says the how and why. The only chance you have to forgive other people, especially when they've really, really hurt you, is to look to Christ's example. If he forgave me everything, then I can forgive you of anything. Now, to this point, a local church family should not be easily left. There are some legit reasons for leaving a church family on biblical beliefs or practices. Maybe you just physically move others as well that I think are valid. But a family should not be easily left. There should be much prayer, counsel, and agony over that decision. Think about it. If a son or daughter just abandoned their family, which happens, hopefully, you you would hope, you know, and, and ideally, in a church family, a son, a daughter, a mom or dad wouldn't just do it at the drop of a hat. Now I want to give you an example. Um, there have been times once I've really gotten to know people that have joined our church um, and have uh, started to really plug in and I start to hear their story where they share with me about some past hurt from other churches, pastors, followers of Jesus from other churches and, and, I, and I'll say something like, yeah, I, I'm really glad you're here but if you have unresolved conflict with someone in that previous church, can I help you get right with them? 
Because the gospel is that, that Jesus came to earth so that he could forgive us our sin, yes, so that he could take care of God's wrath that was against us by, by dying on the cross in our place as a substitute, yes, but he came as well to reconcile relationships. He came to reconcile the relationship between us and God, but there should be an outworking of that. That's the vertical, but the horizontal should be that, okay, if we are changed by him, if we're forgiven of everything, now I'm gonna forgive everyone else. So I, I challenge people, I'm like, hey, go to them, get right with them. If you want me to come with you, I'll come with you. But if you end up staying there, praise God. And that's bold. You don't, you don't pad your numbers that way. But I'm not willing to compromise the gospel for numbers. You might be like, yeah, but you don't understand what they did to me. And I would just say, then maybe you don't understand what he did for you. Number four, a local church family should be attractive to their community. They should be attractive first with their forgiveness. Verse 13, we just looked at that forgiveness is not just for our family's benefit, our church family's benefit. It's for the outside world, for everyone else to go, whoa, who forgives like that? It's unthinkable to the world, a world that runs to hate and bitterness real quickly. It's unthinkable for us to forgive people like Jesus forgives. And it's super attractive. A local church family should be attracted to their community with their love. Verse 14 says, And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is sacrificial care. When people see a family caring for one another in tangible ways, in ways that hurt, sacrifice, they go, what is that? I want that. particularly in our cultural climate today, when people see brothers and sisters in Christ serving each other, but then learn they have different political views, but then learn that they have different views on handling COVID, and then learn that they have the same Savior and the same Lord and are in the same church family, that is unthinkable and attractive. How do we do that? Love is such a buzzword. Well, Paul knows that. <laughs> he doesn't just say, put on love. He says, here's what love is, and here's, here's what you need to put on. Just like we put on clothes every day, here's, here's some things you need to put on spiritually every day. But he, this list here, compassion, kindness, it's not just a list. The order is, is super important. He starts with a heart condition. And then he talks about an outward action. Let me show you. A compassionate heart produces kind behavior. Here's how we grow a compassionate heart. We connect with God the Father who is so compassionate that he sent his only son. 
the more we realize and are moved by the compassion of God the Father, the more our hearts will start to change. And, and then kindness will show to other people. You know, people have really, really good phony sniffers these days. People can just tell it. We, we can't just walk around and go, I'm going to choose to be kind today. You can. People know you're not doing it for the right reason. We need our hearts to be changed. We need a compassionate heart that produce, produces kindness. The next, the next uh, set here is we need a compassionate we need, or sorry, we need a heart of humility that produces meekness. Humility is, is a heart that submits to God and sees ourselves properly before him. Meekness, then, is power under control. And what a great example we have of Jesus of that, right? He humbled himself by becoming human. Fully God, fully man, he humbled himself by coming here to earth and humbled himself before the Father. And that heart is what produced in him the act of meekness, power under control. When he went to that cross, talk about an act of meekness. God of the universe saying, yep, I'm gonna die. Power under control. When you see yourself as his humble servant, you can then turn and humbly serve other people. Think about the stark contrast to many of our world's leaders right now. Humility won't sell clicks, it won't sell taps on social media, but it will be what an unbelieving world is actually looking for and longing for in a leader. The next set, patience, a patient heart that produces the act of bearing with or putting up with each other. Starts with patience. Consider God's patience with you just this week, with me just this week. Of all the high-handed things we did to try to think that we are in control, from all the self-exalting things we thought and did to put the spotlight on us instead of God, yet God patiently forgives us and has forgiven you. As we grow in patience, we naturally can put up with more. We can put up with more of our family members, both at home and church family members, and their annoying quirks. Patience that produces bearing with one another will stick out like a sore thumb especially in our culture that is so convenience, first, fast-paced, demanding patience stands out and is attractive to a world that needs Jesus. A local church family should be attractive to their community with their peace. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. See, when people see the peace that they're all longing for, the peace that, that they've been looking for, not just ruling your heart, but letting it rule the hearts of a whole people group together, a whole church family, they're going to be like, where can I get some of that? How did that happen? I thought of this analogy 
Um, I don't know why I thought of this, so bear with my weird analogies. Um, imagine I just saw someone out in the foyer. Okay, two people in the foyer, let's imagine for a second, and one of them has a two liter of Coke, and they're, <laughs> and they're just pouring this two liter of Coke into this other person's mouth. Okay, because the other person said, hey, I'm thirsty. Can you help me out? So naturally, you grab a two liter of Coke and just start pouring it down their throat. Um, it's weird, okay? But another person says they're thirsty. Someone brings them a cup of cold water and they're sitting there sipping it. Obviously, the one with the cup of cold water is having their thirst quenched and the other one is probably still gonna be thirsty and super annoyed at best. Here's what I'm getting at. People are being fed drama, worry, and fear from all angles right now. We all are. We're just being fed drama, drama, be afraid, worry, not in those words, but it certainly is there. Just like that two liter of Coke. And sure, drama, worry, and fear actually taste good at first most of the time in a strange way. But it leaves you with a stomach ache and your body aching and you're still thirsty. But that person that's standing there drinking that nice cup of cold water, that's what Christ's peace is like. That's what our world actually needs and actually wants and is super attractive. So we need to turn to those that are just taking that Coke hook, line, and sinker and go, hey, no, Jesus, he is the one who can quench your thirst. His peace wants to rule your heart and I can help connect you with him. We have the answers, you guys. So let's start, let it start with us. Let us take that cup of cold water every day and connect with him and enjoy him personally and together. That's what a thirsty, aching world needs. Number five, a local church family should be immersed in God's word. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Two things here I want to point out. First, it says to wisely teach God's word. There's teaching and there's warning. Teaching certainly starts right here with the messages like this one right here. But it's not just teaching the Bible. I, I, we aim, not just myself, we, anyone who gets up here is aiming not to just dispense information to you. We're trying to do it with wisdom. We seek to do it with fear and trembling because you read this and you just get overwhelmed and you go, how can I teach this? You go, well, thankfully it's his word. Much study, much counsel is poured into these messages to help people understand God's word to them. But this should be happening not just right here, but informally as well as a family. Wisely using God's word to teach, to encourage, to inform, to guide. So when someone's dad dies, you can bring them some scripture to comfort them. When someone's caught in addiction, you can bring them some scripture to help, to help them walk forward. When someone's 
celebrating the birth of a child, you can bring them some scripture to help celebrate and encourage them. When, when someone's bored with the monotony of life, you can bring some scripture to help wake them up a little bit and give them some hope and perspective. But it's not just wisely teaching God's word, it's also wisely warning or admonishing, it says. Admonishing means warning. So both in our teaching here on Sunday morning, formally and informally as a church family, we need to warn one another with God's word. And here's the, here's the thing. We need to warn people because we care about them. We need to warn people because we realize and we watch and we see that they're, they're potentially running off a cliff They're about to go off that cliff and I want to warn them of that and pull them back out of love. They should know that you're warning them out of love and feel that it's out of love and care. Otherwise, you just come across as a jerk. This also requires much wisdom. Proverbs 25.11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. If your warning is going to be effective, it must be fitting or they're going to miss your intent and your heart. You don't just throw scripture at people, even if it's true, even if it applies. You share scripture because they're about to go off a cliff and you want to save them from the pain of that fall. Let me give you a couple of examples that I could envision in, in like a small group or a connection group. Let's imagine someone's sharing a prayer request. Someone's being open and honest, like really bearing their soul. Here's what's going on. I really need your prayer. But then someone else warns them and says something like, hey, you need to be careful with that line of thinking. Hey, God works everything for good. Hey, you just need to trust him more with that. All those things I just said are good and biblical and coming from Scripture. But 99.999% of time, that context is a terrible context to share that with. Now it has become foolishly truth-bashing, not wisely warning. Imagine another scenario. Imagine someone's wrestling with whether they should take the keys from their rebellious teenager. Should I take the keys so they can't drive the car anymore? What should I do? A good approach would be, hey, you know, that is really tough. Maybe you've been there yourself and you say, I, I've been there and that's hard. That is a really hard decision. But I just think of Proverbs where it says, not to spare the rod. And I know it's hard to do, but that seems to be the form of rod right now that, that would be best. And I'm telling you from my experience, it's hard, but it's probably better to do that now than in the long run. You know, I, I think that that is a great way to handle that, to warn someone with God's word. Now, relationships are a huge X factor here too. We all know that. Warning often comes off as truth bashing if we don't have a real relationship established. But we're, we're called to warn with God's word in a way 
that is showing we care, showing we love them. So let's immerse ourselves in his word. Let's do this together. And then we can teach, we can warn one another in love. And a f- good first simple step would be, would be to do um, our version Bible reading plans. Maybe you're already doing one of these and that's cool. Or if you're already in the word in another way, fantastic. But I, I just want to use this as an opportunity to say, hey, it, it does start with us individually. And if all of us together are getting in God's word and individually, then we're going to be more equipped to teach and warn one another. Number six, the local church family sings. And in verse 16, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why? Why sing? Why can't we just show up um, and dive into God's word together and call that good? Here's why. We're not robots. Okay, we're... If we were, that would work, okay? We could walk in and go, teach me God's word, great, I heard it. Thank you for downloading that information. Goodbye. You know, you probably wouldn't even say goodbye to your robot. Why would you need to have any infection going on? Um, you know, but uh, we're not robots. That's what I'm trying to say. That went... That, yep, okay. Uh, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. Your, your, your head certainly needs some solid biblical truth. That is, we, we are intellectual beings, but your heart and your emotions are deeply connected to your head, so much so that we're holistic beings, and those, those things all just run together. Our head and our heart, our intellect and emotions together need Jesus. So singing gives us a chance to affirm and to declare what is true together. So that way it's not just Matt or whoever up here sharing truth. No, all of us, when we sing together, we're singing things like, we love you, Jesus. We honor you, Jesus. We worship you. We need you. We're singing this together. This is why we take song selection and and the order of the songs in the service so seriously. Maybe you didn't even know that, but I I encourage you to enjoy and appreciate the themes woven with these songs and the order of them that Josh works so hard every week to create. Enjoy and appreciate the biblical soundness of the lyrics that Josh and I work hard to ensure that that, that that's what's happening. Enjoy and appreciate the musical excellence that these musicians strive for because we're working hard to help you worship. Not just emotionally, but in truth. But singing does help our emotions as well. Singing helps your emotions and heart catch up with your mind. Your mind can can learn a lot of things, but it can't really internalize them. That's what God gave us our emotions for. You know, by far, what are the moments people say where God just rocked them in our services here? To worship. A line, a chorus. I mean, there's Sundays that I get up here and I have a hard time even starting to speak. I remember one time I, have to, I had to ask Josh to come up here and pray for me because I was so moved by the worship that I'm like, I, I, ugh, you know, I just couldn't say anything. 
We've been there. Hopefully you've been there. I pray you get there. We need to let God minister to us, not just to our heads, but our hearts. And singing is our attempt to do that here. Even if you're personally not musical, which is fine. We're not all musical. That's fine. I challenge you, though, if that's you, still sing your heart out. It's not about you. It's fine if you're singing off key. I'm totally cool with that. So is the person in front of you. It's about us together as a family, lifting Jesus high and clinging to him together as a family. Number seven, a local church family should be thankful. Just look at your scripture here, 15, 16, and 17. He just weaves it in. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thankfulness is just weaved throughout this passage and thankfulness needs to be weaved throughout our church family life experience. Thankfulness begins by celebrating the good stuff going on in our church family. But it needs to start with thankfulness before God. So I just challenge you, is thankfulness for the good stuff happening at Stonebridge a part of your prayer life? I encourage you to let it be. We need to have thankfulness with others in the church family. Make it a point to talk about the good stuff going on in our church family with your brothers and sisters. We need to have thankfulness with others not part of our family. Speaking positively about your family to your coworkers and to your friends and your neighbors. We also need to be careful to resist the urge to be overly critical. Certainly, I And our church welcomes questions and concerns. That's how we gain clarity. That's how we grow. We want to hear that. But thankfulness for our church family should help us curb the temptation to being overly critical. Remember, it's it's your family you're talking about. This family, though, has people in it who are sinful, including your pastor. So use words and thoughts not to be overly critical. That's what an unbelieving world does, right? Just bashes everything. But we're called to hire. We need to use our words and our thoughts to be thankful for our church family. Number eight is the last one. A local church family's leader is God the Father. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I, the church staff, the elders, we're just lead servants here of the leader of Stonebridge Church. This brings me personally immense comfort and ease because he's ultimately in charge. But I pray that this brings you immense joy, hope, thankfulness, and optimism for Stonebridge Church. The perfect leader, pastor, king, friend, dad is leading this family. 
So commit to this local church as your family, not because of Matt or Josh or elders or any human leader here, maybe sometimes in spite of us, but because the Father is leading, guiding, and directing this church. If we all embrace Stonebridge or whatever local church family you're a part of in your life, if we all embrace it as our true family, then and only then, Will it really start to feel and look like family? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the local church family, and I thank you for this local church family. God, I, I said a lot of things that are just difficult to live out, and I, I realize that. But it doesn't mean we're not called to them. So thank you for giving us help. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. I pray. The Holy Spirit would just give us a lot of help living this out. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for being in charge. Thank you that you are the one leading us ultimately, Lord. We just give ourselves to you, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.